Hi, I'm Marika and welcome to Money Chill Out. On this podcast, I want to dive into the world of the often unspoken topic of money. Effective personal finance management can be a great liberator, but also a huge stress factor in our lives. After a 10-year career on trading flows in London, I want to help demystify the intimidating world of finance and have an open, honest and frank conversation. By opening the discussion, I wish you identify yourself, learn, be inspired and get empowered. Every other week, I'll be joined by guests for conversation on money, mindsets, investment habits and any best practices they abide by. So join me on this journey as we unpick the complexities of finance and get more comfortable talking about our money. And when you're ready to go further in mastering your finances, come and work with me on a one-to-one coaching. You'll grow your awareness, move on with your projects, and have an accountability buddy to track your progress. Today, I'm very pleased to welcome Grace, a woman who has put in the efforts, but hasn't forgotten where she is from. Coming from a disadvantaged background where money was scarce and no one was going to uni, her dream was to be free from money worries. She started in audits, with her first pay being higher than what a mother had ever earned, and she made her way to portfolio management. Even though she is very humble, she launched a fund three years ago and now oversees 800 million sterling of assets. She's also been awarded Fund Manager of the Year 2021 for women in investments. She has stayed very simple as an increased her lifestyle and is mindful she doesn't want to feel disconnected from her past because she knows not everyone has an ascent and a lot of things happen at a young age. She is very involved and dedicated to sharing skills and knowledge with teenagers. She mentors, educates, prepares for interviews and runs an investing group to show them finance can be an option. So hi Grace, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. Cool. I'm super happy to have you on this podcast. So thanks for your time. I've been very, very inspired by your story, to be honest, and how when you were a kid, a career in finance was not even thinkable. So it's good to know what obstacles you've encountered. And I'm sure it'll give hope and motivation to lots of people to actually push barriers. When you know where you now, I mean, wow, really well done. So can you tell us a bit about your background? Yeah, I mean, you were just talking about having an obstacle to a career in finance. I think the biggest one is, I mean, growing up, I didn't even know what finance was. And I think I grew up in quite a traditional family where I didn't have any parents that went to university. I was the first one to go. My mom worked in a kitchen. I didn't really have anyone in finance. I didn't know the job even existed. And for my family, all my job options were either going to grow up to be a doctor or a lawyer. So finance actually came to me very late. I only started discovering finance when I went to university because suddenly other people were looking at careers in finance. And until then, I hadn't even heard of the concept. And it was more having people in your life that were an example to show you what it actually is so it's not that I couldn't do it it's just that I didn't know it and I think that's what I'm really finding out with people who come from backgrounds from poorer schools that doesn't even have the opportunity to find out about these careers I think what's really difficult too is by the time you go to university 
know, the way you get into finance is you do a spring internship, then it turns into a summer internship, and then you get the graduate job. And when you start to miss those first steps, it's very difficult because by the time you get to graduate job levels, other people around you have already done lots of internships and you haven't. So automatically, they already have the advantage. The way they got the summer internship was because they had someone to guide them or even tell them about the opportunity, tell them where to sign up. That's super true. And especially the thing like you don't see, you don't know, or you can't even imagine yourself. That's super Super powerful, that thing. So if you go back to when you were in high school, how did it happen that you actually went to uni? Did you meet supporting teachers or friends? Not even that. But I think it was it was kind of the natural path. I mean, you always grow up and you think, I'm going to grow up, I'm going to study well, I'm going to go to university, I'm going to get a job. And that's how it all works. And I mean, my first job at 16 was a kitchen porter. So I used to wash dishes. My mom worked in a kitchen her whole life as well. And I guess one of the things I knew is I didn't want to do a physical job like that for minimum pay. And so from then on, my options became, okay, I should probably work hard to try and do well at school, to try and have a career because I had the opportunity to go to school my parents were refugees and never had that opportunity so that was something that I always felt like I had to take advantage of yeah and it's actually good as well to know you have the opportunity but as well taking it again like it's two things that are pretty different so well done so when you don't really know what to do as a job because of course you don't have much of a clue of the corporate world So you realize as well, back in 2011, that with the euro crisis, it's not that easy to find a job. And second, you actually realize you're not at all prepared for interviews because no one has really ever told you the skills you needed and you did not have that many people you could relate to. So taking a bit of perspective, what do you think you were missing? Well, one thing that would have been great is actually to find out about jobs. (laughs) So... I finally went into it where other people around me were going into banking. Oh, you know, I'm also going to apply to banking without finding out about other careers that they were. And I mean, even just within finance, there are so many different types of careers. I think, again, because you don't know much, you think, oh, okay, I hear that banking makes money. Other people around me are going into banking, are going to the same thing as well. And you know, you're right, it was a really difficult industry to get a job in in 2010, 11. And I still remember that I got into a few final interviews and all of them got cancelled because everyone just stopped hiring. It's quite a stressful time to come out of uni. You don't know what you're going to do and you have all the stresses of having to get a job. And I guess I was quite open-minded at the time because... You know, to be honest, I only applied to banking because that's what everyone else was doing. I didn't know too much about it. And at that time, I thought, you know what, I'm going to give myself as many doors as I can, keep them open. Audits, there's always jobs for auditors. Even during a crisis, there are jobs for auditors. So I applied to one of the big four graduate programs, thankfully got into it. Even then, I had to wait a year before I could start because they had a delay and so many applicants that even if you got a job offer, you had to wait the following year. But okay. that's kind of how I got my job in the door. I realized very quickly I didn't like the job. I don't know many people who do, but the thing that was very good 
is it got me the opportunity to learn more about finance because suddenly I would be auditing lots of finance companies and I came across a fund management company and realized that, my gosh, what they do is so interesting, so much fun. This is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So you were kind of lucky having these clients, but still, if you look back three years to get like the graduate program, why did you stay? Well, one, I thought I would have no chance getting into the fund management industry because I was just only learning about finance. Second, I mean, the big one is if I was to leave early, I would have had to pay all my student fees back <laughs> to do the... <laughs> True. And I told myself that regardless of what happens, I should finish the qualification. It will give me something to write on my CV. But in the meantime, I'm going to do everything I can to get my foot in the door. And alongside doing my audit qualification, I also did the CFA, just preparing myself so that after I qualify, I would have the maximum chance of getting into the industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you were super driven. Yeah, because I'm CFA too. And it's, uh, how can I put it? Yeah, there's a lot of engagement that you need to, yeah, a lot of work that you need to put in. So as you said, your first client in audit was Man Group, which is big as a manager, and you got interested into what they were doing. What exactly attracted you? I think one of the things I really liked is people were judged based on their performance, which boiled down to a single number. And I think that was super attractive for someone like me because I didn't have connections. I didn't have parents to help me progress. I didn't have parents, family to you know, help me open the door. And, you know, when you work in a big company, you come across lots of people like that. You know, some of those people work very hard, but a lot of the time having someone to help you up the ladder helps. I did not have that at all. And so there was a huge appeal to know that my performance would be determined by what I do and not what other people think or who I know. It was very liberating, I think, to feel like I could be in control of my own destiny and not so much how did other people think of me? Did I have someone who knew me, who could help me progress in my career? So that was a huge appeal. And also I was a numbers person. I did really enjoy reading the news, looking at what was happening in the world. I think from a very young age, I was always very curious. So that kind of job Or profession really spoke to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I same as you. So <laughs> I understand that. And and how did you go then from audits to portfolio management? So I do think there is a lot of luck involved. But I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent luck. I think because I knew I wanted to be fund management, I you know, did really prepare myself. Whilst working a full time job, I did my accounting qualification and the CFA as well, and. You know, as soon as it got towards the end of the three years, I started applying to lots of different jobs. And I did think that one of the common routes or more common routes into fund management was to go on the banking side into research, become a research analyst, maybe get into research on the buy side and then become a fund manager. And because fund management is where I wanted to go, I was ready to do that long journey to get there. But I actually got very lucky. I got a phone call from a fund management company asking me if I wanted to be a research analyst and manage a fund at the same time, which was an absolute dream opportunity for me. I had to say yes to it. It involved me, you know, moving from London to Edinburgh, 
but it's not a thing I regret at all. I mean, I never thought I would have the opportunity. So people ask me how I got there. And, you know, I have to be honest, there is a lot of luck in it. But if I wasn't ready to take the opportunity, that opportunity would have never come knocking on my door either. No, exactly. And still, you did apply. So you did take action. It's not as if it's coming out of the blue. So I understand why you say it's luck and we all have sometimes luck. But still, you've done like your share of the work. So how did you thrive in that environment? So I remember I asked my boss before why he hired me, because as part of the interview, I got to find out that it was between me and two other people. And I was told the other two people already have experience in the industry. So I remember at the time thinking, yeah, I'm definitely not going to get the job. <laughs> They've got two other <laughs> more experience who worked in industry. I'm not going to get it. And so I was actually really surprised when I got given the offer. And one of my first questions was, so why did you hire me over those you know, other experienced people? And my boss told me, I don't know, I saw that hunger that you had. And that's what appealed the most to me because half the job is all about, do you actually want it? And then you're really willing to try and work hard for it. And he felt that, which is why he hired me over some of the people that already had experience. And uh, the way he described it is uh, I took to it like a fish to water, that it was so natural for me. I just was looking at the market, trying to figure out ways to invest. And I think one of the reasons why I did so well is when I joined the team, most people were, were a lot older had been fund managers for a long time. And I think to inject new blood into the team, someone younger with a different view, who just looks at things completely differently, really help. I mean, fund management is all about making the best decisions. And I do think that the more different views you get, the more you know, informed your decisions become and the better they are. And also I was very privileged position where, because I had no experience, I felt very young. I felt like I could say anything and no one would hold it against me. So I really made the most of it. And my situation is being someone who didn't know very much, asked a lot of questions, did whatever, made mistakes, learned and just kept going and was never really afraid about raising my voice or saying something. That's great. That's such a good mentality to have, to be honest. So, And were there a few women you could identify yourself with or were they really like male dominated So it's a hugely male-dominated industry, that's for sure. I mean, there were many, many more women in order. And whilst I can't say that I particularly related to a woman, you know, there were a few people within the team that came from a similar background to mine where their parents didn't go to university. They were the first in their family to have a professional job. And I think those are the people that I really related to and looked up to. Mm, I see. And now, what does your job represent for you? It sounds really cheesy, but it's my dream job. <laughs> That's cool. I love that. There's not a lot of people who can say that. So I'm really pleased for that you got to where you wanted to be and second, to be happy about going to work. I love that. You look at what a job is meant to provide and, you know, job is meant to provide money to help you get through life. But it's also where you make your social connections. It's where you find your self-worth. And, you know, I'm very lucky that my job gives me all that. And the world is forever changing. So it definitely takes that curiosity box. And I think it's the only job I've had where even after I go on a holiday, whilst I'm on holiday, I will think about what's going on. And, you know, there's times I actually look forward to going back to work on the Monday after my holidays to see what I've missed out on. 
<laughs> yeah, but I guess when you had like a good holiday, it's a good thing to actually look forward to coming back. I think the the break is really nice in itself, but like having that willingness to come back, I think it is one of the best things. So let's talk about how do you live. So you probably aware that you're in a bubble where you and your colleagues have larger salaries and bonuses. So how do you manage to stay down to earth and simple? And I personally think it's a really interesting question because even if sometimes it's a wish, you get to change with the people around you and about your new environment. I grew up in a not easy environment where you know you didn't turn on the heating because you know gas costs money. <laughs> I saw my mom struggle with that. So for me, you know, when I do spend money, to me I always think back to what that is worth. In my first salary, I was earning more than my mom ever did already. So I've always appreciated the value of money. And I think when you appreciate the value of money, it does become harder to spend on things that you don't think are worth it for you personally. And so I think that's how I you know, don't go and buy the crazy expensive watches because those things actually don't have a lot of value to me. Um, and it's not just because other people do it that I feel like I have to do it either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what kind of person are you with your money? Does it mean that you don't necessarily treat yourself, but you do treat others? Or, or yeah, how does it work? So for me, I think the couple of areas where I really do spend money on are holidays and food. I love my food and I have <laughs> spent money to try food that I haven't tried before. When I go on holiday, I do like to enjoy my holiday. But at the same time, I do like to be careful with it. I mean, it would pain me to pay thousands of pounds on a night of hotel when that could buy me you know, a lot of food. But the other thing as well is, you know, I do feel like I'm in a privileged position and I do want my friends and family to also enjoy a part of that. I mean, it was bonus season not that long ago and uh, I tried to get myself to spend the money. So I have a little fun pot that where I'll just put money to the side and my boyfriend was telling me, Grace, but are you actually going to spend that money or just spend it on other people? But I, I do enjoy spending on other people, particularly on my family, my mom, you know, taking her in experiences that she wouldn't necessarily be able to enjoy otherwise. I think those are the things that make me happy. It's not so much the item and it's the experience and those experiences don't cost tens of thousands of pounds. Yeah, yeah. That's a great mentality again to have. Yeah. So you earn more than your boyfriend too. So do you think you pay attention to how you spend as well because of thanks to him? I think it's a bit of both. I mean, even before knowing him, I've always been very conscious with my money. I've always been a keen saver. I mean, one of the things also that I think about is, you know, I enjoy my career a lot. Some people have very short careers. (laughs) I'll never know what's happened in the future. (laughs) And also, you know, is there a day when maybe I don't enjoy as much? Maybe. And so I'm always kind of ready for that. So I was always quite conscious before meeting him and so is he. So I think we actually match really well in that, that we spend about the same amount of money. None of us derive a lot of pleasure from buying physical things or both happy to spend on experiences. So that's not really been a point of tension. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so important what you said is that you never know what life is going to bring you and you want to have the freedom to make options or to take options or to have a choice. 
So yeah, super interesting to know that you're saving for that in case. So let's go about learning and giving back. So you understood the power of investing a few years back. And because again, it's not taught at school, it's actually hard to get your way around it if no one tells you. So how did you start and, and how did you learn? I think it started off very basically where even with my first salary, I always put a little bit of money to the side and I did the worst thing you could do. And I stuck it all in cash all the time. And then I got a little bit wiser and then I started looking at where are the better interest rates for cash, which was a bit of an improvement. And then it's really as part of my job investing. I'm in a very privileged position where I have an idea of markets or actually know what they are or what some of the big words mean. Whereas a lot of people don't actually get to know that. I mean, even now I try and talk to my friends and I even just try and teach them about what an index fund is or what's a dividend or, you know, what's a show, what's the market? Because a lot of people that I grew up with anyway, you know, thought credit cards were evil. Stock markets are evil. It's all gambling. Never take out debt, never put money in the stock market. And, you know, I try to explain some of these things to people and that's how I learned. And that's how I'm hoping to also teach other people that haven't been exposed to finance at all. And sadly, most people who are lower down the pay scales never get to learn about finance or personal finance. And those are the people who stay trapped in poverty because they don't know what to do with their money to try and make it grow. Mm -hmm. No, exactly. And your work is limited. You can only work X number of hours per week or per month. Whereas, yeah, if you invest your money, it can work while you're asleep and so on. That's why, and compounds as well. So what do you think is your one piece of advice for people to start investing, for example? Just start somewhere and also as much as you can. Don't try to be too smart. Don't try to be too complicated because otherwise, you, the less you think about it, the more automatic it is, the more you're likely to actually stick to it. Mm -hmm. Like it. Efficient and simple. That's cool. And I really like as well the fact that you want to give back. So you're involved in charity work and especially for young kids. Can you tell us a bit more? Yeah, I think a lot of it is to do with how I grew up and I realized what was missing. You know, I had no one to tell me what finance was. I was just going through school on autopilot because people don't teach you about careers or personal finance or anything like it. And so for me, it was very important to take that knowledge and be able to give it back. I went to the schools where I used to work, did some mentoring. And it's not necessarily convincing young people to get into finance, but it's just to give them the option, um, make us think about what they want to do. So to be able to bring that knowledge, I think is you know, something that I find very satisfying. I've always been keen to share knowledge as well. Since the age of 16, I was working with young students even to help them with their coursework. So I think I've taken that trait with me all the way throughout. That's great. And even with your kind of career, you work a lot. So definitely it's good to keep that, especially because, as you said, it's super satisfying and it's your way of sharing and giving back because you've been or you feel lucky. It's great. And you also have an investing group. How does it work? Yeah, so it's taking 15, 16 year olds who don't go to very good schools, don't know much about finance, and you basically put them in groups and you basically give them a paper portfolio where you make them trade. And the whole point of this is you don't tell them what to do. The last thing you do is tell them what to do. Let's see how they invest and maybe 
push them in the direction of, are you asking yourself the right question? Have you considered this? If you think this, what do you think that impacts that? And it's all about making them more self-aware, more self-critical of themselves, as opposed to telling them, I think this is a great start, you should buy it. But it's all about teaching you how to think about a portfolio. How do things interact with each other? And it's actually really funny to see how they invest and what their investing mentality is. For example, we just had a group and I mean, they had no idea about this, but with rising inflation, higher interest rates, some of the banks benefited from that. And the group I was mentoring decided to buy Barclays. And I thought, oh my God, my group is the smartest group ever. They know that interest rate rises are coming. They're going to be investing in Barclays. Then when I asked them, so why did you buy Barclays? Oh, it's a really big company. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Not the reason you expected, but still, (laughs) it does work. Yeah. So it's nearly about coaching, I would say, if you don't give any advice. It's really about making sure they understand and guiding them into their thinking. So, yeah, it's quite similar to what I'm doing on a daily basis. Love it. But not just that, but also, you know, they have to keep track of their performance. So, again, it will teach them a little bit about dividends or what a company does, what's market valuation. But it is quite interesting to hear some of the thinking that goes on behind it. That's fun. And it brings you back to probably like really the basic. Again, I'm a true believer that when you actually master what you're doing, you can explain it to even a four-year-old. So I think it's a great way to share and explain and and adapt. The one thing I was really proud of my group is uh, they understood what uh, diversification was. They looked at their portfolio and they were very specific about choosing different stocks that had little to do with each other. (laughs) That's great. The thing that was quite funny is they wanted to be diversified, but I don't think they realized what that meant because you can measure people's performance against other groups. And one day they came up to me and said, oh, look at our performance. The line doesn't go up and down as much as all the other teams. (laughs) (laughs) You're diversified. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Linking concepts together. That's great. (laughs) So how often do you meet that group? So we met once every month. The competition actually just finished. And then there's another one that is going to kick up into the next financial year. And because you have that mentality to be super cautious with your spending, you tell me that you actually spend sometimes hours finding good deals. So what's your, what the last one that you found? You know, there's a saying that says the amount of planning a holiday is almost as much fun as going on a holiday. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> I'm looking at it. One of the best deals I think I had is my boyfriend and I went to the Maldives. The Maldives are a very expensive place to go to. And uh, I found a hack whereby I found a hotel. And typically when people go to the Maldives, they go for five days a week, maybe two weeks. And one of the deals they have is you stay for two weeks. Or if you stay and every day for your whole stay, you pay extra will give you free meals and will give you three different activities to do if you pay this extra $200 every day of your stay. So basically, I decided to pay for a stay for one day, pay the $200 for one day, but I was actually staying on that resort for a week. But what I did is I basically booked 
one room for a few days, another room for a few other days, and <laughs> one room at a special rate for one day. And I remember thinking they might not accept that. So I actually sent them an email beforehand and told them, by the way, I'm going to be staying for the week, but I'm going to be paying for this extra for one day. Can I make sure that I get all the activities that you said we're going to be getting? And they actually replied back and said, yes. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well done on you. Like, yeah. Uh, we got the uh, activities, we went fishing, we went on a boat tour, we had the free cheese, free wine, everything. But on the day we checked in, we actually, uh, they actually told us that it's not possible. We wouldn't have done that. It doesn't make sense. It's too cheap for this, all these activities. And I told them, yes, I know. I have an email from you that said that I can do that. <laughs> they had already promised it. And I think it's the Maldives. They have to give the good customer service. We were able to get away with it. That's great. That's great. Actually, it's a good use of your time because sometimes you actually try to find good offers and at the end of the day, you realize like, I don't know, I spent how many hours for how much, but this, this one sounds like a, a pretty good one. <laughs> and um, is there one thing that you want to free yourself from, but you haven't dared yet? Finance related, I mean can be anything or even like in terms of feelings or maybe the fact that you are super careful with your money maybe sometimes you want to be able to spend something for yourself or I don't know anything that could prevent you from doing something that that maybe once in a while you dare you could do something else so knowing that I could take care of myself my family Yeah, for the rest of our lives with what I have, I think would be an amazing feeling. I would probably still do the job I do. Everything would stay the same, but having the feeling that even if everything went wrong, I will still be okay is something that I'm trying to achieve. Yeah, yeah, love that. Financial freedom, basically, and yeah, making sure that whatever you've achieved actually stayed. So it's really about resilience. Cool. Thank you so much, Grace, for this discussion. I really enjoyed it. I love to hear about people who actually defy expectations, who push barriers and show the way for others to come. And it's especially true when you keep a good mentality and you don't forget where you're coming from. It's super inspiring, really well done. And I love the way that you see money and success, just a tool to achieve independence. So I'm very happy to have met you. Thank you and keep in touch. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. So at the end of this episode, I hope you're as enthusiastic as I am. You can find the notes and the key takeaways on my website at maricafino.com. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and spread the word. Thank you.